0: maybe it's partnership and what does that mean when you're a partner does that mean having share in the company what does that mean and what it takes to get there and understanding you know everything with regards to the contract and nothing being you know elusive
1: welcome to inside reproductive health the shop talk of the fertility field here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management patient relations and business development from the most forward thinking experts in our field now here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones.
2: Valerie Libby is a current reproductive endocrinology and infertility fellow at UH Cleveland Medical Center. Second year fellow.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Valerie is also an advocate for egg freezing and women taking control of their future, having frozen her own eggs four times, including fairly recently. I believe that is
0: true. Yeah, <laughs> Today,
2: Valerie and I are going to discuss the topic of what fellows really want as the process to become an REI is certainly long, fun, and challenging one. Dr. Libby, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
2: <laughs> I'm really excited about this, and I want to start with the way, I, because I think it's relevant to the conversation. You'll see where I go with this segue. Do you recall how you and I met?
0: Yes, I, I believe that I was at PCRS this year, and I had seen your Instagram account, I think, and I, I remember seeing you in person and recognizing you, I think, and just wanting to get to know you because I also really like social media. I mean, I think social media in this field is very relevant considering that our patient population is very much entrenched in social media, so I, I, I was very excited to meet you. I think that's how we met. Correct?
2: it is how we met you <laughs> were with a flock of fellows at <laughs> pcrs and you recognized me from social media and you said hey how come you don't come over and talk to us and you know introduce yourself and i was thinking like because the fellows at pcrs especially are like put on a pedestal A like, pcrs <laughs> is is like almost like the fellow showcase And so I thought it was super relevant because some people don't love that. Some people think that we make too much fuss over fellows in our field. And part of the reason why this topic came about is just because there's a differing view of the people coming out of fellowship right now from those that are getting closer to retire that did their fellowship probably 25 years ago. Do you think we make too much of a fuss over fellows? (laughs)
0: I mean, it's, that's interesting that you say that because I had no idea that that was the perspective that you and other people may have with regards to PCRS and the fellows. And I at least don't feel that way. I feel that sometimes I feel like we don't make enough of a fuss about all the fellows, you know, and I guess we don't appreciate the amount of effort that goes into that people put into conferences like this. and you know, into the fellows. I mean, we do, we, you know, looking back now in retrospect, like we have so many wonderful opportunities at PCRS and many other conferences throughout the year where we, you know, people really invest in our future and we appreciate that. And I don't think we realize that we're put on this pedestal because, you know, we try to, you know, we're still at the bottom of the totem pole. You know, we had to work our way way up back when we were in medical students and had no idea what was going on, trying to please everyone, including the you know all the nurses, which we still do, but um, so I feel like we we don't realize that sometimes we are thought of on pedestals. But you know, I think that we appreciate, you know, people investing time and in, into
2: us. I think it's supply and demand. I think mm-hmm. we put NBA players on a pedestal because not that many people can jump over Steph Curry and dunk the ball in the paint. I think that when there's only 1,100 board certified fertility doctors in the country, and there's this many jobs, and only a sliver of those that can be filled by qualified applicants coming out of fellowship, I think it's just supply and demand. So I and I have my, you know, my own views about millennials entering the workforce and, and sort of the view on taking over practices, and we'll segue more into that. But know, yeah. Now you and I, I think we both graduated high school. Oh, three. Right? Yeah. So we are among the older millennials. I think that puts us, you know, that puts us in the <laughs> mid eighties. I think most people are, are defining millennials as about 83 is, is more or less when the generation starts. That means that the oldest of us now are in our mid thirties, which yeah. means the oldest of us are doing things like owning marketing agencies and starting to take over practice management and, come out of rei fellowship this being the case do you think that the new reis coming out maybe having done some traveling maybe just having had a, a cool life in between summers and college do you think that today's new rei class puts too much emphasis on the life part of work-life balance
0: Okay, so you're saying do you do I think that today's REIs are not having those life experiences or they are having those life experiences?
2: I think the criticism is that they're totally having those life experiences and that it's more about that than it is you know, being yeah. accessible to a patient at two o'clock in the morning or being able to work extra long hours. That the criticism that I often hear is that today that the younger REIs want to come in, punch a clock and go home.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can't really speak to that perspective, because I'm only 33. I do know that, as you know, every generation says that the generations before them did not work as hard and don't work as hard. And The thing is, we are a product, like you say in your blog, of the new, so many new things in the environment that didn't exist, you know, decades ago. And I think that, I mean, I personally do feel like I'm a little bit older than some of my peers, but I, a lot of, a lot of people are still just going straight from college into medical school and don't have some extra life experiences and they've worked really hard and get where they are and they continue to work extremely hard, and that's been mostly the case of people that I have met going into, at least that have gone come this far into REI fellowship. I think it really makes you unique and relatable if you have life experiences. As far as like being the type of people that wake up at 2 a.m. and stay at work till 10 p.m., I also think it makes us more relatable if we go home to a family, which I don't necessarily have. But if we, you know, if we go through egg freezing, if we you know, do things to make, you know, to to help our patients understand that we understand what they're going through and what their desires are. But I think that, you know, being an REI is an honor, but also it's not, it's not very hard once you get here. From what the tenings that I've talked to have said, it you know, they say that it takes a lot to get to where you you are, but once you finally made it, it's really not that hard. You really rely on your staff, your nurses, your practice manager, you know, all those other people to help make you successful. And I feel like, you know, I do think that, you know, the the doctors that go really above and beyond and stay at work extremely late and sacrifice many things in their life, you know, on a daily basis are exceptional people. But I don't think that's, you know, I think there's a way to balance your work and your life. And I think that if you can do that, you're, in my opinion, even more of an exceptional person.
2: Your second year, right? Yeah. are you already being courted by potential employers?
0: I mean, I don't wouldn't know if you would call it courted, but I'm talking to a lot of people yes.
2: What are you looking for? So I'm more interested in just like so the title of this episode is what fellow fellows really want and I'm just more interested in like the anthropological, case study of you which is just like what are you personally looking for what, do you, yeah. what 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 when you meet someone do you feel like this is a good fit I mean
0: when when you first start looking for jobs you really have no idea what you're looking for and it's I mean it's hard even when you're as a medical student choosing what specialty you're going in because you really don't know what life is going to be like for you when you end up rolling into that job every day. So you don't really know exactly what you're looking for. But as I've done this process, you know, I've been on this trail for a couple of months now, I kind of know a little bit more about, you know, what I'm looking for. And I don't know if this is necessarily true for everybody. You know, some people really want academic positions. Some people really want to do a lot of research. Some people want to, you know, go to work at, you know, get in at eight o'clock and leave at, you know, four o'clock and leave everything at home and not have any other responsibilities. And, And I respect that too, but everybody, you know, wants everything. For me, I think what's important is having transparency and having a clear, like being able to have a clear understanding of what the current physicians in the practice, if you're, you know, planning on going, joining a practice, what they expect of you and what goals you need to meet in order to, you know, reach certain milestones, like maybe it's partnership. And what does that mean when you're a partner? Does that mean having share in the company? What does that mean? And what it takes to get there and understanding, you know, everything with regards to the contract and nothing being, you know, elusive, you know, everything being very clear, you know, there's a clear non-compete or there is no non-compete or whatever it is. I think so. transparency is important. I also think Feeling like you're in a collaborative environment where the success of others in your practice is dependent on your success and your success is dependent on others. So everyone feels like they're kind of working together. I really think that that's an ideal working environment. You want to feel like you have – coming out of fellowship is very intimidating and – yeah, it's a very intimidating process. You've been studying, you know, in the books for the past ten, you know, twenty years, like your entire life. A lot of people don't have those, you know, MBAs or, you know, the marketing whatever experience or and and really they don't understand the environment that they're walking into and that it's a it's sort of a, like you say in your blog, a corporate environment. And to be able to survive in this field, you need to have good mentors, I think whether they are business people, but also, you know, obviously doctors, you know, helping you, you know, you may have usually as a fellow, you're, you're training in an academic environment. So you don't have the private practice experience. so You don't know how a business is run and you don't know how to work within that experience. I also think opportunities for growth are important. So, you know, if, if your niche is oncofertility or if it is, freezing eggs, or, you know, whatever it is, if you want to, you know, con, you know, really focus on that, I think that a good mentor and good partners will help you foster that niche that you want to explore. And then I think that it's important to find a practice that has good value or find an environment that has good values and integrity and, and puts the patients first, first and foremost, in this business world, you know, we have to remember that, the most important thing is our patience. And then finally, you want your, par- your partners or your practice environment to be respectful of your you know, personal life, whatever it may be that you are, you know, you put as your priority, you know, obviously work is, you know, typically our priority, but you know, our second priority, you know, understand that things might come up and being able to work together and that,
2: and that sort of things. There's like three different rabbit holes that I want to go down from that. and there's so I'll, I'll pick one which is one thing that you said about transparency which could probably be an entirely different show topic but yeah. You know the blog article that you're referencing of mine is that I, I wrote an article called. It's part of a four-part series, but the headline that that really got people to click it, and I almost used it deliberately as clickbait. Was the email was our REI fellows entitled? And I think I got more clicks on that email than just about it, than any other email I've sent this year because wow. people wanted to opine and they wanted to to check out. And I and I did that deliberately. I knew that it would. It would get people going, but the criticism is often is that REIs don't want to, new REIs don't want to set up their own practices or they don't want to take over and get on a partnership track from a doc that's within four years of retirement or so. And I think what I'm seeing is a bit more of what you're describing is that need for transparency and a bit more caution because I'm seeing often relationships break up that the associate comes on board, they're thinking one thing. And the the retiring partner different in mind. And I don't know where that breakdown in communication is exactly. But I know that those expectations are different. So I've seen multiple times this year an associate, not necessarily right out of fellowship, but usually younger, maybe late 30s and been in the field for a few years, break apart from the practice that they were supposed to become a partner with. Because there's some sort of expectation that's not being met. And so the argument that I make in my blog post is that the REI practice that we're modeled on right now is just an inherited model from the healthcare practice, that small independently owned clinic that is, is from the mid 20th century. And now what we're seeing is a huge influx of corporate money of now there's digital marketing, now there's so many other things that involve owning a business in this field that is much different from just owning a healthcare clinic. And I think people coming out of fellowship see that and they see the risks associated with that. And I don't think that the people that are are closer to retirement saw those same risks. And I don't think that they're considering them now either. So I'm very curious, like, what are people saying in you know, in your cohort about starting their own practice, is that something that people still have the appetite for?
0: You know, like you said, I think the environment has really been changing. So it seems like not only do we not know what it looks like or what it will look like in 10 years, but neither do the people that are going to retire. So I mean, my my father, for example, owns a private practice in urology. And he has two sons going into urology. So he really cares about what it's going to look like in 15 years when he's retired and he's building these practices for his sons, you know, or, you know, maybe, hopefully. So I think that, you know, you can find mentors out there that care and want to know. And I have a few that, you know, look out for me and try to, you know guess what the world is going to look like in 10 or 15 years and people are saying so many different things you know people really don't know even the smartest people that are going to retire or whatever but because it is a new field as far as like our fellows do they have the appetite to start a new practice so from my experience the current you know my, my you know friend cohort of friends nobody's really talked about starting their own practice and um You know, as as unfortunate as that may sound, it's also um, a product of the fact that we have been working for so long to get here. And we kind of just want to start making money and to start, you know, working and seeing patients. And you know that when you walk into a practice that's already created, you have patients there, you can, you know, you can have a salary or whatever it is that you want. So that's one reason. And then also, because no one's really, that I know has really, you know, started their completely on their own. I mean, people have started branches of other large corporations, which is amazing, and also not that common. As a new fellow, that's very hard to do. Because Again, you come out of this academic training environment, you don't know what a private practice looks like, but at least you're under the umbrella of a larger corporation that can provide you the resources that you may need to start that practice and the experience from the other practices that they have. So so to start on your own is just very scary for us. And we just want, we want, we don't want to, you know, we, we have been training in this environment where, you know, don't ruffle any feathers, just kind of get through, keep your head down, and you know, complete what you're supposed to complete and you know, risk taking is not something that we wanna do when it comes to patient care. So when when, it's, when we're talking about business the business world, which we have no I usually have no experience in, risk taking is something that we kind of are averse you know, we, we don't want to, you know, do, but mostly because we've trained in this environment where risk taking is dangerous, you know, for patients. So
2: it's a huge risk to start a business. I started a business, but I didn't have any debt. And also, you know, as a market, as a digital marketing agency, there's not a ton of inventory to put up capital against to have that risk there. And it's still. A huge risk and it still you know can weigh on you and to your point you know there's not it's not like there's a ton of training that you have by nature physicians should be risk adverse to a degree should be following best practices, and, and this intense training contrasting that with the entrepreneurial free market which is all about test and reiterate and in terms of the competitive landscape is a hundred percent about ruffling feathers yeah. So you mentioned that, listen, we don't have any MBAs. I've talked to some of my friends like Dr. Dan Nioden in Toronto, who's a young REI, who, who often says that there should be a lot more business training for physicians in fellowship or at least some. Have you had any sort of business training along the way, whether residency, fellowship, medical school, that wasn't part of a separate program, but was part of those trainings? What is the business training like today?
0: Oh my gosh. I mean, it's really not existent. I think that, you know, the conferences that the REI fellows go to every other year in Park City, Utah, at least from my experience, the only business thing that I've ever done, unfortunately, I mean, i I love business, but but I, I focus on learn, learning how to be a good doctor, and that's what most of us have been doing because it's so hard to learn how to be a good doctor. But when we were at this conference, when we go to this conference in Park City, one of the heads of these com- corporations, who's also a physician, came to talk to us about Dr. Richard Scott. He came to talk to us about the sort of like the environment going into private practice versus academics and then we had Dr. Francisco Arredondo talk to us about marketing, but they were both just one hour lectures, really great lectures. But I mean, it's hard to really, you know, take those tools and apply them when it's only one hour and, you know, that's all, you know? So I I think that some people don't, care about the business of medicine. And I think that's okay, you know, because they're going to be great doctors anyways, but, and their, and their goals may solely be to take care of patients.
2: I mean, I completely agree that there are some people that they just want, I want to practice medicine. I don't want to get involved in business. I don't want to pay my taxes either, but I still have to. So (laughs) I think there is a degree of, not all of us are, are called to be entrepreneurial or to, own a business, but there is a certain degree of literacy that's really important, because even, let's say, even if you go into academic practice, there are some of the the systems, or excuse me, some of the of, uh, of hospital systems or of university systems are being bought by private equity firms. And at some point, somebody has to make a decision, is, is how am I benefiting from this? What? What is my stake in it or what should it be? And I think there's just a, there's a degree of literacy, whether if you want to be a full-on entrepreneur and start the next largest clinic in, in your area, then, then I think that literacy is really high. But I think even if you want to go into an academic institution, that there's a certain degree of proficiency that is well-serving.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I do agree there is, you know, a certain level of understanding that you need to have in order to to you know, to not like to do well, to do okay. But, you know, I, how to incorporate that training, I really don't know because we really, you know, do need to focus a lot of our time on being, you know, becoming, you know, good physicians. Maybe I mean, during fellowship is, you know, we usually have to one and a half to two years of of just research. And during that time, you know, other than studying for our oral boards, we have a lot of time to go to conferences and things like that. And I think like maybe during that time, having a, you know, optional, you know, uh business business and REI conference would be a great idea. And something I would certainly like to go to. But but, you know, I think that it's hard because who you know, whoever Puts on these conferences, you know usually large corporations aren't going to want to be a part of it because you know it might maybe they will i mean you, you have to you have to figure out if it's you know you have to balance between you know the bit well actually
2: I think that goes back to the pedestal. I think everybody wants access to you all so i think I, I think that yeah, that's true. These, or, right. I think that any of these corporations would be happy to come in and do a either do a training or I think what you really have to to be vigilant of is the opposite end of it which is making sure that either multiple people have opportunity or that one company isn't getting an unfair access because of a conflict of interest but I think that a lot of people would love access to yeah to to fellows to your point about mentorship um which I I think is valuable in any any line of work especially entrepreneurship what most what i hear very often docs who who would like to retire within the next five years say is i I would love for somebody to come on me mentor them for five years and then take over the practice i think it's some of that risk that we talked about that a lot of docs coming out of fellowship aren't biting on that but when you think of your your peers, when when they're looking at the opportunity of, okay, I could go for this bigger practice that is, you know, I, I sign on, there's probably a legalized partnership track that's in place. They've got a big share owned by private equity and maybe by a, a more than one firm versus this single doc practice and this doctor would like to retire in four and a half years and I want to take over. Is there even any palate for, we talked about there's not much palate for, not much appetite for starting one's own practice. Do you even hear much appetite for taking over a single physician practice?
0: What I have appetite for is maybe not what everybody else does, okay? So I'm speaking on behalf of what I think, what I've heard. I love all the entrepreneurial stuff and I love the idea of, you know, it, although it's very intimidating the idea of starting your on your own well you know do, do is that super scary absolutely do other people in my field at this point are they willing to take on that risk? no, you probably not um i don't I haven't really heard of other fellows. usually they're thinking you know they're being they're being recruited by these big i guess either venture capitalist companies or doctor owned companies that have a clear path to partnership that are very large you know those type of things they usually are being approached by those people and they are you know it's it's an easy and safe you know thing to go into and so you know like i said i think i haven't really heard of many people saying oh i've i've been approached by this person and they you know because again many of those practices if you're going if you want to go to a big city which most of my friends do Many of those practices are being bought up by these companies. So they're already like, okay, well, you can come in. I'm not sure if you can take over because now it's owned by so and so, but come in and I'll retire pretty soon. And, you know, I think it's important for the new fellows to understand, you know, why people are wanting that to happen and, you know, why, you know, what the motivations are of these older physicians and just to understand, be completely transparent and understand you know when you're ready to retire this is you know you know i don't know what environment you're going to be in but this is you know kind of how it works or whatever i mean i think it's important for us to know that
2: you hit something really on the head which is the folks that are having the most trouble recruiting are those from Small market USA. Why is it that you feel that most REIs want to go to, or those of your cohort want to go to big cities? Is that just a millennial thing? And we like big cities and we like the urban life.
0: I think, you know, maybe medical schools could do a better job of recruiting um, people to go into medical school from smaller towns that want to stay in small towns. But, you know, if you were raised in a larger city, maybe you like that more. I mean, that that's certainly what, I mean, I want to, you know, I think, Yeah, because that's what I grew up with, you know, like, I I do have my MPH in global health. So I I like the idea of like helping, you know, increasing access to care. And I think that's really important. But I also think that, you know, being close to family is important. You know, usually we've all been away from our families for decades and finally want to get back and and they typically don't live in rural areas. But maybe they maybe they do. And maybe you want to go there. But yeah, that, I mean, I just think that's where most of my family, most of my friends want to go to.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm from Buffalo, New York, so I love small, small <laughs> city USA. But I find that often, when there is a, a younger doc coming back to there, it's because they're from that area. Yeah. And, and that usually, and that's usually what the the attending physician that owns the practice will say, I, I got lucky and found somebody that is from. 30 miles away and wants to come back home. Yeah, totally. What are you What are you most excited about? You know, you've got a, a year and a half mm-hmm. left in, in fellowship or so, and you're in some, um, some change. And then, you know, and then you've got this entire career ahead of you that you've prepared 15 years for by the time that this is all said and done. What are you excited about?
0: I am just mostly excited to have my own patients and help people have babies, <laughs> I And to finally start, you know, my career, because I've been, you know, working so hard to get here. I just kind of am really excited about just starting. You know, I also really personally, very different than most of my cohort, really like the business side of medicine, because my father, you know, has been a great mentor for me. And so, I'm excited to learn as much as I can about that as well and and to see where you know this field is going in the next ten years. There's so many new advancements every day in our field, and the research that's coming out is amazing and I'm really excited to see where we're you know where we're headed. so
2: is there anything about today's r e i fellows that you'd like to? clear the air with or give a shout out to your peer or or just anything about this theme that we haven't talked about that you'd like to conclude with
0: yeah I mean I think that first I for sure would like to give a shout out to all of the REI fellows class of 2020 oh my gosh and also just want to say to everyone out there Make sure that you have a transparent practice that you're joining or creating and, you know, don't, let's try to, you know, make a, an environment for REI practices that may be necessary to take risks and don't be afraid to take them and don't necessarily fall into the mold of every, of every other fellow out there, you know.
2: (laughs) Dr. Valerie Libby, second year fellow at UH Cleveland Medical Center. It has been a pleasure to get to know you the past couple of years, a pleasure to speak with you today. I really look forward to watching you in your career. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
1: You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you have a strong opinion about today's episode, we want to hear it. Agree, disagree, or have another point to add, please email podcast at fertilitybridge.com and tell us if you recommend a guest or a topic for a future episode. If you're ready to skyrocket your fertility practices, growth, and double your IVF cycles, schedule your fertility marketing discovery call by clicking the link in the show notes. And if you just want to learn more tactics to market your fertility center, download our free ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Fertility Marketing on fertilitybridge.com, also available in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Inside Reproductive Health podcast, and we look forward to talking more fertility shop on future episodes.